I think where I'm able to connect with young kids through older kids is that I truly believe that everybody is important. Um, no matter what your skill level is, that you are valuable. Um, and I say to the girls all the time, um, some girls that have anxiety or feel bad about their appearance, that I wish that they could see themselves through my eyes. Welcome to Full Press, the Field Hockey Podcast, a series of interviews with members of the hockey community across the globe. My aim is to shine a light on the valuable insight our hockey community has to offer. If you have a story, we want to hear it. My name is Chris Pothier, and I'll be your host. Full Press, the Field Hockey Podcast, is proud to work alongside the Hockey Factory Shop USA, the official distributor of Adidas Field Hockey, the only 360-degree product range. Specialist field hockey shoes, cutting-edge stick technology, bags, shin pads, and customizable team uniforms. Check them out at hfssport.com. That is hfssport.com. Just like Adidas, here at Full Press, we are creators. Let's begin. This episode, we uh, are kind of taking a bit of a turn. Uh, you know, we're going from the college side to the club side, and we're keeping it local to New England. At some point, I'll probably branch out outside of New England, but until I get my feet under me, we'll uh, we'll keep it to what I know. Um, our next guest, Courtney Capallo, uh, is the uh, owner and director of Cape Cod Field Hockey Club um, down in the Cape, which represents. 13 towns in the Cape, and then they have a big reach off the Cape as well. Um, so, uh, Courtney, uh, thanks for uh, for coming on this. Really excited to, to have a chat with you and talk about the club scene, and we have kind of a handful of topics we want to get through. Well, thank you for having me. I was uh, very much looking forward to this. I'm honored. Thank you. So, you know, I, I think you, know, you guys have been around a handful of years. I mean, when did you guys start business? We started uh, actually in my backyard in the summer of 2013. Uh, I want to do, I have two daughters. Uh, they were young at the time. They were four and seven. And uh, I had some old field hockey sticks and wanted to teach them and expose them to the sport. So uh, they grew up in a neighborhood where there were a lot of kids. And so I invited uh, a huge amount of kids in my backyard and, um, we started playing and doing uh, relay races, and um, it began to summer turn in the fall, and the weather started changing, and there wasn't anything year-round on Cape Cod, um, and uh, field hockey was my sport. I played in college, so it was the sport I was familiar with, and I found out from a friend that there was turf to rent in Sandwich. Um, at the time, it was Compass Athletics, and I started renting turf. Uh, we rented one night a week, and we had 10 girls our first night, and it was all actually all the neighborhood girls that were with me over the summer. 
And that's actually how we began. It was just backyard hockey, uh, exposing local kids um, in the neighborhood and uh, so that my daughters could kind of get exposure to the sport. That's great. So super, super grassroots. Now you talked about, we just want to back up a little bit. You talked about you had some old sure. field hockey sticks and that you played in college. Um, you want to just kind of, uh, you know, where did you play in college? Where did you grow up? And, and you know, when was the you know, what's one of your fondest memories and, or, or how did you begin playing? Was it your, you know, your mother or did you see it on uh, online or, you know, whatever. So if you just want to kind of want to dive into a little bit of how, uh, how Courtney started playing the sport. Oh, well, uh, I come from a very small town in Pennsylvania called Oxford, Pennsylvania. There were two traffic lights in my town uh, growing up and uh, sort of Amish country. Shout out PA. And, All um, right. So we are getting a yeah, little bit out of New England. That's right. That's right. Um, and I, I played, I was a three-sport athlete, um, but field hockey was my favorite sport. And I had an older sister, I have an older sister, she's four years older than me. She played field hockey, and that's sort of how I got exposed to the sport. And my parents started sending me to camp when I was in sixth grade, um, and I would go for a week. And that was pretty much the only training I had at that time was the, the summer camps. And I played on my middle school team, and then uh, I got to high school. I made varsity my freshman year, um, so it was really exciting for me to to have that achievement under my belt. And my sister at the time um, was playing. She played at Temple University, uh, so I got a lot of exposure through her and seeing her play at a collegiate level. And I was in probably the first Futures program um, back in the 90s, uh, which was not very uh, well known at the time, uh, especially around my high school. I was the only one who did it. Uh, so I went to Westchester University and University of Delaware to train uh, through Futures. And uh, so I got a little bit more exposure than other people um, in the local area uh, because I was doing something outside of just my high school sport uh, with field hockey. And then when I uh, started getting older in my junior and senior year, I realized I did want to play in college like my sister and I uh, went through the recruitment process uh, with a couple of Division One schools and settled on Villanova University and played there for four years. Um, so uh, it was a great, which was not very far from my hometown, about an hour away. So it was, it was nice that my family could come see me play. And um, I continued with the sport until I graduated. And then when I was done um, college, I um, was done with the sport, essentially. I went into corporate America and no. uh, didn't attend any. No, corporate yes, America, I went into the, the corporate America job. world. <laughs> yes, exactly. Working crazy hours. Uh, the golden handcuffs. They pay a lot of money, but you work crazy hours. Um, and I was, you know, I didn't go to any games. Um, I didn't play in any adult leagues. I essentially hung up my stick uh, after my last game on my senior year. And then when I had my girls, um, I really loved the sport so much that I wanted to get back to it. And like I said, that was my, the sport that I was very good at. So it was a sport that I could expose them to. And, um, that's why I started training in the back. I had sticks left over from college, you know, the old wooden stick. Sure. Um, I don't even remember the brand of the stick, but it had elephants on it. Um, so I had a bunch of sticks left over from college. And, um, when I had the girls training in the backyard, we would all borrow sticks because I didn't have enough sticks for everyone. So, you know, someone would do a relay race and then pass it off to someone else. And um, through actually um, an article was written about us in a local magazine. And that's sort of what 
uh, gave the exposure for uh, the program that we were starting was it went out to all of Sandwich, and we got a lot of um, interest in that. And um, I believe that's how you met me was that your mother got the magazine uh, because she's a Sandwich resident as well, and you donated uh, a bunch of voodoo sticks for our program. Oh, that's so right. We yeah, to, sure. Sure, I remember that. that. Yeah, yeah, um, my you mom. Were able, you were yeah. She, uh, yeah, she, yeah, yeah, she had reached out to me. She's like, hey, this is weird, but there's a field hockey league or clinic in Sandwich. And I'm like, what? So for those listening, uh, Courtney used to live uh, a quarter mile from where I grew up um, and where my parents still live. So it's uh, as soon as my mom made that connection, I immediately shot an email. And I want to say I was down there probably within a week. And we chatted about what, you know, things that you guys were doing and you were a little bit bigger than just doing stuff in your backyard. You, you were at compass still, um, doing skills and doing, I think you had a couple different sites at the time. We did. I think at the time, because we we originally started out with one clinic and then we expanded to two clinics and then we expanded to adding league play, uh, with different age groups. And then we started expanding at different locations, on Cape Cod um, at different um, indoor facilities for the turf. And at the time, I think I met you, um, we, we maybe had some leagues going, and maybe we were in East Ham at that point. Sure. I, I can't remember. Probably not. Um, but then through the sticks that you gave, I was able to you know, give to other play- players who had signed up who didn't have anything, um, and they were able to try the sticks. And um, it was a, a great connection that your mother made uh, from us meeting you because you were – a huge part in developing our, our confidence and you can do this and this is how you do it. And you kind of essentially laid out a roadmap of here, here's how I think you guys could go about being successful in expanding the sport to the kids on the Cape. So, and I think, um, I think what was like interesting I, I, with, with at least the timing of that, I mean, I, I took over Cape Ann in 2011 and I was coaching with the club, I think since 2007, so when I took it over, I had to almost go opposite. So we were a travel program first. There was no real feeder. At the time I started coaching, I think there was Cape Ann, Seacoast, and Lead the Way, and that was it. You either did those three clubs uh, in Futures or you only did Futures. Um, we used to take 75 players to festival. Um, it was just – it was it – was, it was much different back then with the limited amount of clubs. Yeah. And now, you know, when I took it over, I had to essentially build from the top down. And we had a travel right. program. We had that sort of established higher level athlete. And it's been interesting where you guys were the exact opposite. You guys started in a backyard, grassroots. You know, initially you were Cape Cod youth kids. field right. hockey. It was young kids. Um, and that's certainly... You know, I, I've I've seen that with Blackstone Valley Field Hockey Club. Um, I think was kind of folded into, or Uxbridge Youths kind of folded into that. Yeah. Um, but you you yeah. you see these local clubs, at least up here, and, and they start with that grassroots. And I think that's a much simpler and stable way of creating a bit of a future for yourself. Because you know, as those kids get older, that you started with at U10, U12, and if they have the dedication, uh, you know, you can take 15 kids through all the age groups, and then hopefully you continue to grow underneath them. And next thing you know, it you have a travel group, you have skill clinics, uh, you you know, you guys are running um, a summer camp going into your what? We're going into our third or fourth year, fourth year. Right. Correct. Correct. 
Yes, and, and uh, True Grit is another local one right sure. now that is doing exactly the same thing where, you know, Kathleen has a very dominant young age group. Um, and, you know, it's very similar to ours where we started out with young players. The girls that I really spent a lot of time working with are now seniors um, that, are, that are graduating this year. So it's um, – and I've worked with girls that are older than them, but these are the girls that probably started with us as Cape Cod Youth Field Hockey in our clinic and our first leagues and and now they're they're graduating and and moving on with their field hockey careers and I, I couldn't be more proud to see um, that we had a little hand in, in molding and shaping that um, so that they can continue on with something that they developed a huge passion for it's it's really something special now I think you know when you look at you know the market now and and, and I spoke earlier about you know those limited clubs so if you if you wanted to play club field hockey you know you had you had three four options and now you have I mean, probably 30 options in, in New England, maybe more, um, you know, and, and some of them are within, you know, uh, hour and a half, two hour driving distance. So and that's something that a lot of people are willing to do. Um, but it's when you have that youth program, you have the clinic we, where you, you offer the option of, hey, we you want to play some tournaments? Great. You want to just learn some skills? Great. Um, you want to play as a U10, U12 and get consistent weekly games, or do you want to play year round, travel to national tournaments? I think creating that base uh, is just super important to retaining your players throughout the age groups. It's, you know, very few clubs now can succeed without having that big base unless they, you know, uh, oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, I know talking with Alex at AGH, you know, he's talked about needing to develop a youth program. I mean, they're a very successful club. They don't, I mean, they have three or four or five youth teams, but they don't necessarily have a U12, even a single U12 team. So they get the talent, they get the players at the U14 age group. But, you know, he's he's finding it hard too to create that sort of bottom structure. Um, and that's something that we've been fortunate in have been able to do the last two years in the Worcester County area um, and where you have kind of come up the opposite direction. It's just, it's all about retaining the players and, and building that culture where certainly there's options, but certainly, you know, you want to try to keep players for the right reasons. Now, right. since you've transitioned into, you know, you're, you're now Cape Cod Field Hockey Club, you attend national events, you do indoor, uh, you know, you do the regional club championship stuff, you, you know, you sort of knock on that door. Um, how's the transition been with, you know, dealing with that next level programming when you're talking about selections a little bit more money you know you get into some of the parents and some of the kids and playing time and you know I, I know that was something that you know I we've had conversations over the last couple of years off and on of how I manage it what I've learned and I've made some very big mistakes doing it but have you found that transition easy hard as your culture have you been able to fall back on your culture and your values just kind of talk about your transition and, and the ups and downs a bit of of becoming a travel program sure so we were originally cape cod youth field hockey and then we this was was our 
third indoor season and would be our third spring season this year. Um, we rebranded when we became an official travel club as well. Uh, we still do uh, local um, recreational leagues and weekly clinics that are no club affiliation required. Um, you don't have to be part of our, our club pro- travel program to participate in the clinics and leagues. Yep. Um, one of the challenges of being on Cape Cod are uh, renting facilities um, that are available uh, because, you know, we're limited to putting a certain number of people on an indoor court or um, an indoor turf surface. surface. Um, so that does limit us with how many people we can take when we open up registration. Um, I always encourage people to sign up immediately because something can sell out within 60 seconds. Um, uh, because I can only put a certain number of people on the turf. And uh, for our travel club people, they want that extra training um, in the week because they want to play in college, and they realize they can't just train with us one day a week, and then perhaps if they do futures, that's two. They want to get that extra training in, you know, to have three or four times a week. Um, and, you know, some even would love to train five if they could. Uh, so it, it's a challenge because we we want to be able to offer field hockey to everyone because, as you know, tra- travel club is expensive. Um, so it's not right for every family. And some people don't want to play in college, but then travel is also um, interesting to people who want to be part of a team, but um, their skill level isn't at the level to where they could play in college, but they still want that club experience. So we try to offer all hockey to all people. Um, and um, my husband and I own the club together, but he still has a full-time job uh, with the New York Times. So he's, you know, he's limited with how much he can do. Um, and as you know, Chris, you can count on yourself for showing up all the time. So when you have coaching, you want to make sure that you, you hire coaches who are going to be there and, and show up when you can. Uh, so you, and that also share the same um, message as you do, that you want them to be reliable and give good feedback and are approachable. Um, so you, you have to really uh, – it, it's, it's quite a step when you do hire a coach in any of your programs because you want them to have the same message that you have. Uh, so it's a real trust aspect. Um, you know, it, I, I, it's interesting because we do offer U10, um, and then we offer all the way up through collegiate level where, there's, you know, we offer training in the summer for college um, athletes. But um, it's when, – when with this past spring would have been our highest numbers so far – um, uh, probably over 50 more than we had last year, which is a huge jump for us uh, locally. Uh, we would love to be able to offer a team for everyone, um, but, you know, we have to – there are times we have to make cuts, which I, I hate doing. It's probably my least favorite aspect um, of owning a business because I would be able to love to offer hockey to everyone. Um, and I think everybody has potential to get better um, as long as they put in the time and have the attitude, um, the growth mindset attitude. Uh, we can absolutely get them better. Um, but there have been times where we've had to cut athletes um, and we try to offer them alternatives um, that perhaps they could do some of our, like I know you have an academy, uh, something similar to that, that they could participate in uh, local clinics or leagues. Um, and what I admire most are for some of the athletes who have been cut, that they still continue to do our clinics um, or our leagues because they, they love the sport so much and they, they have a connection with um, our coaching staff and our programs that they don't quit on the sport. I, I love those athletes that 
that don't quit, that keep coming back, and you can see the improvement and the drive in them. And those are athletes I want to work with, that want to get better. Um, but it is, you know, on uh, Cape Cod, we rent from the schools um, for our club practices, which means we have to rent um, on the weekends because they all run their lacrosse or, or whatever programs, their school programs during the week. So that's a challenge. Um, you know, in an ideal world, I'd love to have AstroTurf rather than any other sure. kind of turf, but that's that's not on Cape Cod. Um, we all. And it, and and I'm one person, so you know, I mean, I I I get uh, tons of requests for private instruction, and you know, as you had mentioned, I'm a mother too. Um, so and not only does my husband have a full time job, you know, we we also have a life where my girls uh, are both heavily into instruments. Uh, my daughter Sydney plays the guitar, and Emery plays the drums, and uh, prior to that, they were two instrument pers- uh, you know, uh, person. Uh, so I would have, we have, Kyle and I would have to balance out taking them to their lessons. And Sydney does strength and conditioning three days a week. Um, that's her favorite thing. She absolutely loves doing that. So it's really trying to balance a family schedule on top of um, a lot of people. We have a huge wait list um, every year round for things uh, because I, you know, I can't split myself into five different places, which I'd love to do, but, you know, I have to balance it between being a business owner and uh, a parent as well. And as you know, family comes first. So I need to make sure that my kids are nice. And I want to spend time with my kids. And, uh, you, you know, Kyle and I always say, who's going to cook dinner and what's for dinner tonight? Sure. Uh, because I work at nights and, and, you know, Kyle works during the day. And um, oh, so it, it is a challenge. It's a balance. Um, and we're, it, it's something, you know, since we own the club together, we're always talking about the sport. So our kids are always around it. Um, it's always being discussed at home. Um, so it, it's not definitely not easy, uh, but it's it's something that we're very passionate about and we love. So it, it does that does make it easier. And I definitely, you know, I I think there's a a couple of things to pull from that. You know, it's almost you know this double edged sword where you have this you have this supply that exceeds your sorry you have this demand that exceeds your supply right you guys like you said Correct. you you sell out certain programs at the click of a mouse i mean under under uh you know minutes um you know so i think that's a really good thing but then it comes with you want everyone to play right but you know offering yeah. that secondary program for those athletes i think is so important it's the struggle there is communicating committing to that and and you know you've seen the level of hockey in new england at the i mean at the top end it is very very good and so for certain players at the travel level it's just not going to benefit them to do those events or to send a second team that's just not prepared to play some of these top talent and not i mean not everyone can play travel just like not everyone can play in the nba i mean you can certainly want to and you can certainly you know have that drive and do everything and sign up for the programs. Uh, but, you know, as, as, as people heard in our last episode, uh, you know, Paul was talking about some, some people have it, right. There's that competitiveness and that athleticism that they're just gifted with. Um, and I think offering that secondary program is important now, but it's the culture piece of getting them to buy into that secondary program. And that's kind of what I want to talk about next with you guys is, and we'll certainly get into the social media piece because that's how people view, obviously, what you guys do for, on a day-to-day basis. But talk about your culture and how you've built your values over the years. And, I mean, I'm not a parent yet. Uh, you know, you're a mother of two. And, you know, I think you just have that sort of other sense of how to manage 
you know, some of these younger kids and understanding where the parents come from. And that's something that I've had to really learn. And I, I kind of have a, a task force of parents that I bounce ideas also bounce ideas off of for that reason. But kind of talk about your, you know, your values and how you get buy in because I mean, Players absolutely love you guys as a staff. I mean, when I go to the summer camp, it's, you know, I have a handful of those kids I have a really close relationship with. I feel like you specifically, you've connected with the U10 kid just as much as the U17 kid. Uh, The kid that can hold the stick properly and dribble up the field and the kid that may not be able to tie their shoes initially. Uh, So, you know, how do you generate that level of, of, you know, passion for your club's coaches, um, especially since, you know, being on the Cape, right? It, you know, you're not next to Boston. You're not really near Providence or Central Mass where there's kind of, you know, once kids play college and they're done, they move to the cities and there's just a wide range of access to coaches where the Cape is a little bit older. Um, you know, there's no colleges that play within, what, 45 minutes. Stonehill would be the closest, I guess. Um, you Correct. know, Dartmouth. Um, so, you know, Talk about your values and, you know, if you had to create pillars, whether it's four, five, six, uh, you know, what are you leaning on heavily to help steer your decisions and steer your conversations with clubs that, you know, you're not necessarily making 60 different decisions based on how you feel that day. It's you fall back on, on these principles to help guide kind of the growth of your club. Well, sure. Um, I, I think the first thing is um, a lot of the Kyle always says, he's like, it's you, Courtney, it's always you. And um, it, it, it's so sweet. I mean, I, I, it's very nice to hear coming from Kyle. He's obviously, he's my husband. Um, but it, I, I think where I'm able to connect with young kids through older kids is that I truly believe that everybody is important. Um, no matter what your skill level is, that you are valuable. Um, and I say to the girls all the time, um, some girls that have anxiety or feel bad about their appearance, that I wish that they could see themselves through my eyes. Because when I, you know, come onto the field, um, I know everybody in our club, every single kid in our club by name. Um, I may not know their parents' name directly, but I know their kids, you know, sure. and I can tell you about their kids. Uh, um, you know, I shake, well, back before when handshaking was a thing, um, I would shake their hands and make them make eye contact with me and practice. You know, you need to go up to your coach and say, hey, you know, Coach Chris, how's your season going? I'm really looking forward to, you know, working for you, you know, making sure that they go to their high school coaches and shake their hands and offer to help out. Um, the message I give them is, um, you know, be, at the end of every clinic is be nice to your parents, be nice to your siblings. You know, I'm a mother, so I want my kids to be nice to me. I want my kids to appreciate me. So I'm telling these kids, because um, what you'll find is uh, these these kids will listen more sometimes to a coach than they will their own sure, parent. Absolutely. Um, so I think. I think these kids respect what I have to say and they, then they go out and do what I have to say. Um, and I know like later on, we'll talk about pros and cons with, um, coaching your own kids, um, with, with my situation. But I think a lot of them respect what I'm telling them is go, go be nice to your parents, give your parents a break. I know you're tired after this game, uh, but you have to remember they're your biggest fan. They love you. Um, they're here for you. I remind them that travel club is super expensive um, and the parents sacrifice a ton 
so that the kids can be a part of it. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, I hold them accountable for, for their behavior and how they treat their family. I think it starts with that. Um, you know, I don't want to see a player give an attitude to their parents on the sidelines. That, that crushes me as a person because I'm a parent. You know, your parents love you the most. So, um, and if they do, you know, I'll, I'll give them, you know, I'll talk to them about it. So, you know, give your parents a break. They're, they're, they know you're tired. They love you. Just be patient. Take a deep breath and tell them, listen, mom and dad, I'm really tired. Um, if you can just give me a little bit of slack here, you know, sure. explain to them how you feel. Communication is the key. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of our core, core values is making sure that these players know that they are valued that we value them in the program, that it's a team effort, um, that we individuals don't win and lose, teams win and lose. So everyone out there, I, I used to, when I coached middle school, um, I did that for three years. Before every game, I would gather the girls in a circle, and um, I would start uh, a trend. I'd tap the stick of the girl next to me, and I'd say, you are important. And then she would tap the, the stick next to the girl, you are important, all the way around the circles. They all know that they're valued, that every person on that team, no matter what their skill level is, we're, we're doing it together. Um, so, you know, there, there's, there's no favoritism in, in, in that aspect. Um, so I, I really believe that engaging uh, your players, is, um, you know, I know a lot of clubs have a lot of players out there uh, bigger than our club, but like I said, I, I know the first name um, and last name of every player in the club. I can tell you who they are. Um, I think every one of them feels comfortable approaching me. I think I'm approachable. I tend to be a little bit goofy. Kyle's definitely the more serious of the two of us. Um, but I, the, I tell players, open communication. Um, one of the things that I've tried to instill in the girls, and sometimes still is a challenge, that if you would let your high school coach know that you're not going to come to practice, then you need to let us know that you're not going to be at practice. Um, you know, that whatever respect you would give to that high school coach, you need to give to us as well. Um, and, uh, you know, the sacrifices that the families make um, are, are one of the things that we find uh, very valuable um, that um, as a parent, uh, our parents in our club are so supportive. Um, we count on them to give our daughters rides to and from tournaments um, from practices so that, you know, my 11 year old daughter doesn't have to stay for a seven hour practice. Um, the parents in our club uh, have been huge in helping us be able to run the programs we run um, because we lean on them a lot. And, and to me, that's, that's the true gold um, are, are the, the parents that they help the, the, the club keep running because, you know, Kyle and I have two daughters and, and we would not be able to do what we, what we do without all of their support. Um, and we rely upon that. And, um, you know, I, I, I think it's one of my personal flaws. I, I hate leaning on people sometimes for help. Um, I feel guilty about that. And so many parents, are, you know, say, do not feel guilty. Lean into us when you need to. We're here for you. What you were able to give to our kids, you know, and, and I still have to grow comfortable with that, um, of looking at a tournament and thinking, okay, city gets done at this time, memory gets done at this time. I don't want them here for eight to 10 hours. Like, how are we going to get them home? How are we going to get them fed? Um, and having that community support within uh, the parents is, is a huge. Um, and uh, so support, I would say, is a huge value, um, a pillar of ours. Is It's not just from the, the coaches, it's the players and the parents. So everybody um, is accountable for, for making sure that uh, we have a successful season, whether it's winter or spring, um, that we can count on each other. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's everybody uh, does their part. Everybody has a role. You know, uh, if I say be here at this time, then be there at that time. 
um, when I'm done packing up and you see that I have to break down eight nets, help me, you know, um, help me load my car. And, you know, I don't want, like I said, I don't want to be the person who says, can you go do this? I want you to go do that on your own. Right. And there are several kids in our program that do. Um, and, and those are the kids that are the backbone, you know, that, that do that for us and, and, and want to be there. And they want to, I, I get tons of videos from, um, players all the time showing me skills that they've worked on, um, and that, that work on their own, you know, that the fact that they love the sport so much and I had a hand in, in doing that, um, is, is, I mean, it's, it's wonderful to me to see that uh, when they're out working on their own, when they're not spending time with us, that they, they've grown to love the sport so much. Um, you know, that, that's been a wonderful thing uh, for us to see as, as coaches, that they're out there doing, putting in their own time and developing themselves. Because, as you know, we can guide them and we can teach them. It's their commitment level. Uh, if you want to be really good at something, you need a, a strong work ethic. You have to put in the time on your own. Um, you have to develop your proficiency every day, um, and you can measure success in multiple ways. Um, success isn't just going out and winning the game. It's, um, you know, were you able to get that hit and make contact with it? Okay, we'll do it 100 more times and, and, and try it again. Um, so commitment is a huge uh, value of, of um, how much are you willing to put in um, on your own, you know, um, it's not just doing it uh, when you're with us. What, what time are you putting in? What's that commitment level that you have? Uh, success is a well-laid plan uh, executed to perfection. And um, we can help you with the plan, and we can encourage you, but you're the one who has to execute the plan. So um, you can't just say, I want to be a Division One full scholarship athlete. Well, doesn't everybody, you know, but that, that's not going to happen unless you make it happen. Um, right. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's a, a really strong reach. But it, unless it comes down to the player, uh, it will not happen. And, and that's where they have to recognize it on their own. It is their responsibility to take their training to the next level and their commitment. If, you know, at this time and age, you should be doing strength and conditioning on your own. Those athletes that don't, you're at a huge disadvantage. And there, I, I think with, you know, with, the, with those values, and you kind of touched upon it towards the end there, is – I didn't hear we need to win, right? I didn't. I didn't hear. Hey, winning is a, is how we measure success. Sure, can that be one way? I, I guess, but I think you know you and 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 I relate this to. I, I'm sure you watch TED Talks, um, and I don't yeah. know if you know who Simon Sinek is. Sinek, Sinek. No, I'll have to write that down. He has this TED Talk, and it's it's start with why. And he basically draws on an easel um, the word why, he circles it, he draws two more circles. The next one is how, and the next one is what. Um, and he, and please definitely listen to it. And, and listeners, start with why, how great leaders inspire action by Simon Sinek. And I think it's very, very important. He essentially compares uh, Apple and Samsung, where Apple's why is to build a beautiful phone that encaptures your attention and then how and what and the, and the result is they're a very, very, very successful company where other people's why is very different, right? It's very results-based. Um, it's very much, you know, build a phone for under this price or whatever it may be. And, and Simon will, he, he, he says it much better than I do and at some point I'll be able to, to, to drop in this clip potentially. Um, but you know, I, you know, it's building from the inside out, you know, you covered a lot of things that put responsibility 
on the athlete. And, and I'm sure, you know, you know, you, you are creating the level of hockey and the hockey culture on the Cape because there just really wasn't that outside of the high school level, right? Cape is very much more Correct. of an ice hockey commitment, right? I mean, you probably have a yeah. lot of ice hockey kids and then obviously probably soccer. But, you know, you've you've created that excitement. I mean, look at Dennis Yarmouth, right? They uh, they they won, was it last year's state title, Division Two. Yeah, they're state champion. They played on grass. And they played on yeah, grass, but a hand, I mean, those right. kids probably I very few of those kids on any of these teams did club, and now they have this exposure to high level hockey, and it's very it's kind of like college, right? Where in the sense of it does come down to recruiting top talent. Uh, I mean, you know, does does UNC win? the most or you know win the national championship last year just because they are better coaches they also have talent I think it's there's there's many aspects that go into it um and you know you guys have had to create that level of talent and you've succeed I mean you've seen the success you guys have I mean you guys qualified this is your third year doing indoor and you qualified a U16 team down to NITs and that was your first year correct correct right so it's taken you guys since 2013 to 2020 or 19 when you or I guess 20 is January when you qualified so arguably six or seven years of teaching the basics to relatively new players um, over those years to get them to a level where they're qualifying at the indoor game right so I I think it really comes down to the you know to the type of natural talented kid you have but you know, if the more of those kids, the more successful you're going to be. There's certainly can you develop talent? Absolutely. Can you develop hard work? Absolutely. But you know, your why is at the center of it all. And whether you win or not, I mean, no. I tell my kids, no college coaches. Hey, how did your? Uh, what was the record of your club team while you were playing? Like, how many gold medals did you win at Shooting Star or Indoor? Like, no one right, cares right. about that. It right. doesn't matter. Right. And like you said about the U16 team, that this was our third season of indoor and they qualified um, to go to the national indoor tournament. And many of those girls, um, they've been training with us since we were Cape Cod U field hockey. And those that that particular team, many of those girls train with us during our weekly clinics outside of club. And then they train at home on their own. And then um, all summer long, they, they do all of our programs all summer. And um, many have asked uh, of those girls, asked for private instruction, and they'll go out on their own. So, yes, they're absolutely talented, but that group of girls um, have been signed up for all of our clinics during the week of, sure. of trying to just meet. So they are successful because they, well, they were obviously they were talented, but they put in the time for their talent. I mean, I've spoken to some other girls of why is so-and-so so good in this? And I said, because so-and-so puts a stick in her hand constantly. That's why she's so, you want to be good at cooking? You need to cook. You want to be good at an instrument? You need to play an instrument. I mean, no musical instructor is going to say, yeah, take off six months and then come back and pick up the guitar and we'll go back. They're going to say, no, you need to practice. You need to practice, you know, daily. You need to practice at least five times a week um, for at least 30 minutes to, you know, an hour. And I think it's interesting and, and, and maybe you can shed a little bit of light on this if I'm wrong, but, you know, playing an instrument physically, it's not really demanding. I mean, I'm sure you can get calluses and, 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 but you build those up and you build up that sort of resilience at your fingers or whatever instrument you're playing. And I think that's where people misunderstand. Well, 
playing all the time is specializing and you're going to overuse injuries, but there's a difference of playing the game and just training and 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 oh, p- putting on your slippers and dribbling around the floor or hitting the ball against the wall a hundred times as long as you're stretching and you're doing some strength and conditioning and you're certainly getting off your feet and you are recovering you know you right. there's so much time left on the table with a lot of kids with development but you know you look at uh you know lacrosse i mean they play wall ball like wall ball is their thing that's how they learn to throw lefty and righty i mean i taught myself how to play lacrosse junior year of high school and that's how i did it against my garage um and you know i had uh, i was hitting a ball against the foundation and if i hit the ball too high i broke a shingle so i learned to hit the ball on the ground uh, you know, there's, right. but, but I'm not over training, right? Yeah, but I'm not over training. Right. I'm not you know, injuries. And I think, you know, you look at, you know, Europe, right? I mean, Chris, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, he was under contract by the age he was 12 in a soccer academy and that's all he played. But there's, there's different ways of doing it that you can commit to a sport year round. Now, again, a lot of other top athletes, uh, you know, you you compare like Roger Federer and Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, all he did was golf, and he competed from a young age, age of three, where Roger really didn't compete until he was almost 20, 21 years old, and he played all kinds of other sports, and they're both absolutely dominating and transcended their sports respectively in very different ways. And I think, you know, yeah. there's... There, there just there needs to be a balance, and I think early sports specialization is a buzzword. I think it's a bit of a trend for people, you know, in the gym to to get people into a gym and say, well, you need to make sure that you're strength training as well. And there's certainly, I agree with that. But then they're they're doing the exact same motions that you would in a field hockey motion. And it's like, well, that's kind of doing the same thing. So it's getting out of the moving patterns important, but also controlling the intensity, right? And, and I think hitting a ball Absolutely. against a wall, it takes very little right. effort Absolutely. and you can do it on you your know, own. Goalies should be juggling, you know? Sure. I mean, that's, that's hand-eye coordination. Sure. You know, that, that's not going to take a lot of physical um, strength out of you, but they should be. I think, I, you know, for, for players who are very good at a young age and then take a break from it versus the player who's been consistently training around, you'll absolutely see a difference in their talent. I mean, the, the truth is, just like I said with an instrument, if you take a big block of time off, um, you're going to have to play catch up. That, that's just the reality of anything. Um, you know, if, if, you're, if we want our kids to be readers, they need to read a book. And um, same thing with hockey. If you really want to be, like you said, you don't have to go out and run, you know, 10 hundred yard sprints every sure. day. There's, yep. there's many different ways you can go about doing it, but as, as you know, and I, cause I know you're a CrossFit guy, you, you need to do strength and conditioning. Sure. If you want to be a top, I know UNC has an athlete. I saw a, um, a video on her who was like a monster strength and conditioning person. And I'm sure that was one of her biggest assets is that she could hang, hang in there when, when the going got tough and the other team was super competitive, she could outrun anybody because she was so committed to her strength and conditioning. And, you know, if you get a good strength and conditioning coach, you can be a beast. You know, I, I mean, you see it in outdoor, outdoor versus indoor. Outdoor is a huge uh, field, you know. So, you, you know, you, I went to Escape when we were there in January. A lot of girls had not ran um, since, you know, November to where right, it was full field. Yeah. And that's, that's a big difference. That's why I play um, indoor, so, Courtney. It's not as much running. Right. 
Right. <laughs> I love indoor. Indoor is so much fun. Um, but, it's, it's, you know, outdoor, is, you, you need to be in, in, in top shape. You do, if you want to be a high-level athlete you, and you're not doing strength and conditioning, then that's something that needs to change. And uh, I'm, you know, sure, you know, I'm and, sure you have uh, a handful of players in the club that certainly commit to this. And, and, and one player I just kind of want to touch on uh, real quick is Katie Shanahan. Shannon, Katie Shanahan. Yeah. Captain Sirius, yep. we call her, right? Yeah, yeah, Captain America. Captain America, right? <laughs> Captain America. She yeah. and she. I mean, she yeah. really encapsulates everything that we just talked about in terms of the training. And again, I'm sure there's many more athletes out there, but she is certainly gifted at the talent spectrum. She's very athletic. She plays the ice hockey, um, but she's one of those kids that uh, you know will go to the basement and work on her sweeping. And she's focused. And she's For three hours at a time. Yeah, yeah. and she's absolutely. And there's going to be no coincidence of why she goes to what college she goes to and if she plays on you know with a scholarship or not is obviously her choice depending on what school she goes to but i think she's that caliber but i what gets me is people don't know everyone thinks that well the kid to my left the kid to my right when they show up to on sundays are like all right well we're all here so we're all doing the same thing but what you don't know is the work that these players put in when no one is watching and there's where you get your difference of your good player and your great players what are you doing when no one's watching oh absolutely and and the truth is too is chris is i you know kyle is a great person where he can see where an athlete is doing something wrong and then he'll pull them aside and he'll say you, you need to fix this and you need to do that but then he'll release them and then they'll do the same thing and he's he said that's where his coachability makes all the difference sure. of I can tell you what to fix, but if you don't do what I tell you to do, you're going to keep repeating the same sure. mistake. So, you know, it, it doesn't, even if it's someone who's not very skilled, give me the coachable player who's going to apply the feedback. That's the one who's going to see the most growth of, you know, you need to do this, you're stepping the wrong way. Yep. And then yep, they absolutely. go out and they try, and the, and the, and the player that comes up to you and says, listen, coach, I don't understand this. Can you explain it to me in a different way? That seeks that feedback, that wants that criticism of you're not doing this right. Do it again. Do it this way. Um, you know, there's there, we have many different players in our club, and I work with a lot of different people. And, you know, some people are in it to have fun with their friends. But when I say you need to pop your left hand out in front of you, trap it this way because the ball is bouncing away from you, and then you go and do the same thing again and again and again, it, it does get frustrating in the sense of I'm, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. Apply right. the feedback, and you will make – but don't get angry that you didn't make a certain team – because you're not applying the feedback or, or push yourself. You know, when, when we come down to strength and conditioning, are you out there, you know, giving it all you have out there? Because I can tell the athletes that aren't, you know, it's, if you really want something, then you need to show me that you want it and, and prove it, you know, apply the feedback, go a hundred percent on the sprints. Even if you feel like you're going to cough up a lung, you know, you, you have to show that passion. And, um, for parents that are curious about their kids, come and watch them at the practice, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and and that that's where you can you can also have a really dynamic athlete. Um, uh, you know, there's a, there's a senior that's um, going to play for us uh, at Salve Regina, and always, what can I do better, coach? What can I do? What do I need to do? Or constantly pushes herself. Has always, and I've loved working with her since I've been working with her. I think she was in eighth grade, but always wanted to be better and always looked for the feedback, wanted to be told what she was doing wrong, you know, rather than me, you know, rather than trying to shy away from hearing this is what you're doing wrong. You know, it's, right. it's those athletes, 
And you've always said anytime you've uh, worked with our girls at, at the summer camps, coachability is something every coach looks for. Sure. You know, listening instead of talking when we bring everybody in. Don't don't just uh, start talking to the girl next to you. Make eye contact with the coaches, the ones that are picking up the black pieces on the turf when you're talking. It drives me crazy. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's... <laughs> because, you know, it's like I, this is – and I, I remind them, your parents are paying for this. And, right. and to me – if you're paying for something, even if I'm giving it to you for free, the, I'm giving you my time, and I give you 100% all the time. I never come in with um, a bad attitude about it. I want to give you everything I have. So give it back to me. Give me the sure, energy I'm absolutely. giving back to you. And, you know, I think with me, you know, I've, I have this, this standard of detail that for, it, it really exposes kids that aren't there that you know aren't present when I'm talking or they're not listening when we're yeah. going over because inches for me matter uh, changes of speed changes of direction hand position ball position left or right you know a half a foot really matters and those type of details kids need to learn to understand it or they already understand it and the kids that don't yeah I mean they just kind of you know they think being there and just you know listen to 20% of it, it's really going to get them that 80% and it's it's 100% the opposite um, one one player Absolutely. I do one player I do want to talk about is uh, Sydney and Sydney is your daughter as you mentioned and you coach your yeah. daughter what's uh What's that been like? You know, I, I know when I, you know, run the summer camp, you kind of stick to the younger kids and then, you know, myself and the other coaches that you bring in uh, stick with the older kids to kind of give you guys a little bit of a break. But, you know, when, when you guys go to tournaments, whether it's you or Kyle, um, you know, you guys are managing Sydney and I don't know how how much Emery is playing compared to Sydney, but, you know, how's the transition been like since she was young and now that she's, you know, what, 15 years old? She's 14. She's 14. Um, okay. So, yeah, so I, yep, I have two daughters. Uh, Sydney, my older daughter, is 14, and Emery, my younger daughter, is 11. And um, we, so it, it, it's very different also to own the club versus just coach your daughter. So it's a different aspect of, there are a lot of um, athletes out there who are coached by their parents in recreational sports or even team sports, but they don't own the club, which sure. is a whole other layer of <laughs> um, complexity to it. Um, so it, it's interesting um, to coach your own child. And I don't know if parents, you know, I, can, I think a lot of parents can relate when you help your kids with homework. Um, what we have, there are pros and cons to coaching your, your, your own children. Um, the pros are my kids have advantages that others don't have. They have access to all kinds of field hockey and coaches and equipment. Um, you know, if they want field hockey, I can provide it anytime, any day. I, you know, we have all kinds of things to help make them better. Um, so that is definitely a pro of being the club owner's kid. Um, and uh, there are cons because the lines between parents and coach gets blurred. Um, as a owner of the club, uh, your children have different expectations placed upon them, um, and my kids don't always feel that it's fair. But you know, I I look to my children of being ambassadors of our club, um, where I think sometimes they just want to show up at a tournament and kind of hang out with their friends in between. But I always say to my girls, 
um, you know, before the start of session. There are going to be a lot of people here that are new to our program, brand new. I want you to go up to them. I want you to introduce yourself to them, make them feel comfortable. Um, if they're on the team, either my daughters, you know, it's your responsibility, um, even if you're not a captain of the team, um, to make sure that everybody feels included. Uh, you know, I look to you um, because I hold my kids to a higher standard in that regard. And um, I, I, you know, I, Kyle has coached Sydney more than I have. Um, and he tends to coach uh, some of our higher, uh, our older, higher level teams. Um, and so he, he works with her a little bit more uh, with her. And, you know, like I said, it's, it's, it's the blurred line of coach and parent of, okay, you need to do this better. Whereas if you gave her the feedback, um, we've seen a lot of success with Sydney um, with other coaches working with her um, because I think she, uh, you know, she's 14 at, at times will take it personally of where I say, you know, you need to do this differently or you need to do that differently. And perhaps my tone of voice was not as welcoming as I, if I was giving feedback sure. to another player. Um, and so I, I think that it's a challenge for her um, in, in that aspect of, you know, I've even told her, I said, you know, just because I'm not complimenting you doesn't mean I don't think that you did well. Um, I'm complimenting so-and-so because they did do well. And, um, I think children in general always want um, good feedback from their parents. So it's it's been it's definitely been, had its challenges. We did bring on um, another coach, uh, Brittany Vasconcelos, um, and she she has worked with Sydney um, as a coach for uh, some of uh, her teams. And Sydney is very receptive to Brittany. Brittany, um, and in our summer camps, Sydney works with lots of different coaches and, you know, with her high school coaches. Sydney's very respectful with her high school coaches. Uh, but it, it is a challenge that um, we try to manage and, you know, Kyle and I try to be patient on. Um, and she, she's like now she's 14, but we started this three years ago, so she was much younger. Uh, so it's been some growing pains in that aspect. And same with Emery. She's my younger daughter. Uh, I coached her on every team that she's been on um, so far. Uh, with U-12s and uh, similar, you know, challenges where, you know, in in games uh, where I give some feedback and I think if they're frustrated, feedback coming from you would be received differently than feedback coming from me. Uh, So it's sometimes I I feel bad about that because I I think that uh, it would be easier for them if they weren't coached by their parents. Uh, But as you know, I did homeschool my children up until Sydney was in sixth grade before they entered uh, public school. So I, I knew that aspect of even teaching your children. Um, so I can relate to all the parents going through right now and homeschooling their kids. I did it. Um, and I know how <laughs> hard it panicking. is. They're panicking. They're, they're um, saying throw more money at the teachers because this is yeah, hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. No idea. Yeah. Cause I, it was, it was from like the beginning, but, um, and the reason we even did that was because I wanted a lot more arts exposure to my children than what the public schools offered, um, arts and music and, and literature, a big passion of mine. And so they got all that. And then it didn't work for our family anymore. So City entered the public school in seventh grade, and uh, but I was still coaching uh, her. So there was right. still that element of um, of parent coach, parent teacher, and, and aspect. It, 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 to this day, it's still a challenge. Um, you know, I. I, I had my mother was a coach for like when I did cheerleading, you know, and there were certain times she annoyed me, you know, so it, it's it's definitely um, has its pros and cons. And, uh, you know, I, I try and be as patient as possible. And she's gotten much better through the years and because she's matured. 
and especially this year, has been much better than, than in the past in receiving feedback and, and applying feedback. Uh, but it's harder for her than, than any other girl in our club. You know, it's Sydney says when she went into her high school this year, which was a different uh, than her middle school, um, the woman in the guidance office said, oh, you know, you play field hockey. She said yes, and she said, oh, you know, there's a really good – club program, Cape Cod Field Hockey Club, uh, on Cape Cod. And Sydney said, oh, yes, I've heard about them. But she didn't say, you know, oh, that's, that's my parents' club. You know, she doesn't, she doesn't right. go advertising that, that to people because she wants to be um, judged on her own merits rather than, oh, you're the, the club, club owner's kid. Right. Um, and I think also another pressure is um, she feels because there are times when she does do things that she needs to do it 100% and get, uh, make it in every time. Uh, I think she feels that pressure of, you know, my parents own the club. I, I should be doing this every time. It's an internal pressure that she has that I think at times she struggles with. Because um, I tell her, it's, it's okay. It's all right that you didn't do this or you didn't do that. It's all right if you mess up in the drill. Like, stop putting so much pressure on yourself. Um, and so I, I, I think it's for her that, that she's trying to find that balance as well. Now, you know, so, you know, talking about your culture, which I definitely think, uh, you know, that's a bit how you separate yourself uh, from from other clubs. And there's certainly other clubs that do that. But, you know, one one really stand out of how you separate yourself above every club in the country is your social media. Um, You know, you have twenty five and a half thousand Instagram followers. You are on TikTok, Twitter. YouTube, uh, (laughs) am I missing any, am I missing any of them? Um, You know, what's, you know, why do you, because I, I and I know you and I talk and I'm like, I need to try to get my voice out there and I have, you know, ideas and, but for me, I've just struggled to do the social media. I'm not 100% on it. I I think this podcasting bit is going to be a a bit of how I get my voice out there through the club. Um, But how do you, why? Uh, how is it a full, a second, third full-time job doing the social media and what kind of benefits have you, have you had from it? So I, I think social media comes naturally to me. I had a marketing and communication. I went at Villanova. I graduated with a communications background. Uh, okay. Um, and then I, you know, went, worked for various different corporations, um, where I was exposed to marketing and communications. And I always found communications and interpersonal relationships fascinating. It was one of my favorite things learning in college, how men and women communicate. Um, so it, to me, I, it didn't, it didn't feel like a job to me to do social media. Um, and it was a little bit less about promoting the club and more about telling a story, um, with the content that we have, um, and, you know, people with our social media, I think people are seeking a connection and looking for creative, creative ways um, and looking to be motivated. Um, so it's, it's, you know, we have people, um, we have a guy over in India who ordered our apparel. It's not because of uh, it being a field hockey club. It's because he wanted to be a part of something different, um, something more than hockey. And um, right now hockey is just, just part of the brand. It's not the full brand of the Cape Cod Field Hockey Club. It's it's like you said, a culture sure. of um, support and and just trying to be the best person you are. You know, not comparing yourself to so and so who's going here on this scholarship or that scholarship is recognizing that you're valued um, where you are and that you have potential to be better. And what are you doing to get better? And social media is a platform of showcasing that of 
look what, look what we can do. You can do this too. Try it. Give it a try. Let's see you do it um, in that connection. And content for social media is crucial. You know, you can't post one time in a month of a picture of a girl on your team and expect that a lot of people are going to be interested in that. You know, you need to have content that people find valuable and, and what makes them um, interested in, in returning and coming back and following and reaching out to you. Uh, social media has helped us tremendously, um, not just with our brand of, of our club and having people um, sign up. We've had a girl um, who lives in Wisconsin uh, find us on social media who played for a very established club um, out in Chicago, and she did our indoor season where she flew in from every weekend um, from uh, Chicago and, and, and came and played for us because she wanted to be a part of our culture. And she's committed to a Division One college before even coming here, but you know, her mother said it wasn't about the hockey. It was about her wanting to be a part of something. She wanted to work with you directly. She wanted to have a piece of this culture which was very flattering because I, I said to her, I said, you know, this is our third year doing indoor, you know, we're, we're not um, 20 years into this, you know, this is, this is where we're at. She said, this is what she wants. She wants to be a part of your culture. And so that to me was very flattering. We have girls, you know, some girls drive from Chicopee um, that could do other clubs, but come here for the culture. And, drive right and, past and us. What the heck? Yep. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's in that sense of, you know, I, what we tried, I, and that's where social media has helped us grow. Yeah, sure. um, you know, we've had uh, coaches uh, that have worked for us um, uh, that have reached out to us from uh, New Zealand and saying, I'm going to be over here this summer. I'd love to work for you. That's how we met Coach Fran was from social media. It's how we met Coach Katie from Columbia yep. uh, was from social media. It's how we met Marissa from social media. Um, so we were able to bring in these excellent coaches all because they found out about us through our Instagram. Um, and, you know, we rebranded our website, capecodfhc.com now, of, of where we're trying to uh, make it easier and streamline registration for people. Um, so, you know, that's where we're moving with uh, media-wise. But I think what clubs can do better um, is – um, offer more content that people find valuable, you know, rather than just we just won this championship or we won that championship. And some only highlight their top teams. They don't highlight, you know, um, right. their uh, other teams in their program. And, you know, how does it make those girls feel? Right, you know, right. I, and it, I love, you know, it's, clubs it's really make yeah. They, you know, they, they post, they post just when they win. Right. Or, or even colleges or right. whatever, you know, they don't necessarily post the low moments or they don't post the character building stuff and the, the stuff that right. goes into, you know, I, I think, you know, self-confidence of, of younger females is probably never been lower and you can, you know, point your fingers at whatever it may oh, be, 100%. but you know, Doing just social media to post and and try to just have content to have content doesn't really help that. And the way that you guys do right. it and some stuff that I've been able to pull from you guys is, you know, uh, kind of building that confidence and and approaching all of your athletes on a on a personal level. Um, via social media and how you, I mean, I think first and foremost, you're their coaches and they believe they, they have a passion for your club and they have a respect for you first. 
And then you add in the social media piece to that. You know, you guys, again, you don't do it the backwards way of I want, I want followers and then I'm just going to post a lot of stuff, right? Your why is very much at the core and it just so happens that you get a whole bunch of followers and how you do it and you are very diligent in it. And I think that's, you know, very important. But the self-confidence piece of these young females is you get them to believe in themselves. And I mean, there's just parents would throw money at you uh, uh, just because they they see a different person when they their daughter comes home or their son comes home from training or over the course of the indoor season now they're you know they're more aggressive and they're speaking up for themselves in school or with their friends and they're much more social or whatever it may be and you get that because of of Things like this. It's not just social media, but it's, you know, it's full circle, honestly, right? It's that complete sort of, that complete focus on the athlete. And within that, there's 360 degrees of that athlete that you have to pay attention to. And that's why you're going to succeed and you're going to be around 10 or 15, 20 years if you guys want to, because you have that why. And I think a lot of people can learn from that and self evaluate and reflect on what's important here, right? What are we actually trying to accomplish? Um, And, you know, the club scene, the club scene, the college scene, hockey in general in this country would greatly benefit from that level of self-reflection and that level of, again, does a drill really matter? When I run coaches clinics, the, the drill is the these coaches want it doesn't really matter it's what I'm doing in the drill how I'm talking to the girls that really yeah. makes the difference right and, and and I definitely think you know the social media piece and the intention to how important these kids are to you knowing their names learning about their families knowing what their favorite pizza is um, you know is really important you know, I'll, I'll share a quick story and I think you will be able to relate to it. I'm sure there's a handful of kids that are in this situation. Um, the head coach at Keene State University when I was coaching at Worcester State, um, she t- she talked to me. So they were just, they were winning the LEC almost every single year. They go to the NCAA tournament. And I just, I wanted that, right? That's what I wanted. And she spoke about mm-hmm. culture. And she says in, in preseason, you know, she, she has all the girls in a group. And she says, girls, look to your left and to your right. You know, some of these girls are going to be in your wedding party. Some of these girls are you're going to be seeing 20, 25 years down the road from now. And I, I am trying to create that. And I think some of your kids, they're going to be friends throughout college. And they're going to be friends post-college, even if they don't play at the same college. I, you cannot right, put absolutely. a price tag on that. You can't put a gold medal on that. You can't put whether your kid goes and plays in, at Salve, that's amazing. Or if they go to Duke and they win a national title, it doesn't, ultimately it doesn't matter. And and, and I think honestly, you know, you, your social media ties that all together. And, you know, some people may just think, oh, they're just always on their phones. And I, I think there's a lot more to it. And there's a, a lot of depth of what they don't see, even with social media, right? Of what you, what you're doing off camera is really amazing. A hundred percent. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, when we were Cape Cod Youth Field Hockey, I remember bringing a mirror that was a large mirror, um, into the clinic. And at the end of the clinic, I lined up all the girls and this is very in the very beginning. And I said, there was one girl who worked really, really hard tonight who gave it a hundred percent. 
um, who was the best athlete here tonight. Um, and I turned the mirror around and I said, it was you, it was you, it was you, it was you. And I went down and like the parents afterwards just said, thank you for making my daughter feel as important as everybody else out there. And I said, well, that's the message that we're trying to convey. And, uh, you know, I've heard several times, I mean, with my, with city and guitar, she had a guitar teacher, um, for, I think it was like three years ago, she dressed up as him for Halloween and went into her guitar lesson wearing a beard and glasses and a plaid shirt and looked exactly like him. Oh, and he was so touched. And I said, we would go anywhere you are. I mean, when you, like you said, when you find that mentor in your kid's life, you would, you would travel to the moon for them sure. because if that one person makes your kid feel good then you, uh, as a parent I can say it I mean teachers can and coaches can make or break your kid um, there are bad teachers out there there are bad coaches out there there's bad everything out sure, there sure. but there are the ones that that make you feel like you're valuable that you're important uh, that you're smart and you're strong those are the ones that parents are going to say I want my kid around that person and as a parent myself Absolutely. I would travel anywhere for those coaches, those teachers, um, whatever, you know, and, and you, can, you can spot them a mile away. Um, and, and those are the ones that, that whatever the circumstance, you're going to put your kid in 100%, even if your kid's, you know, is tweaking their saxophone and it sounds squeaky every time. But if they're making, they feel good walking out of that lesson with that saxophone teacher, then guess what? We're coming next week. Sure. You know, it, 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 it's, it, it's so much more than hockey and it's so much more than everything else. It's, it's finding those, those good people out there and you surround yourself with good people. And, and that's, you know, with social media, like there, there's many times that when our U10s went to NIT last year and they got to the final game and they lost the gold medal game and, you know, some of the kids were crying and one of the dads came up to me at the end. He said, that's the best speech I've ever heard. And I, cause I told him, I said, listen, you're going to lose a lot in your life. It, it's just a matter of fact but you have to keep going and putting in all that you have and leaving it out there and, and realizing that it's, it's okay that you lose. You're going to learn a lot from it. The people who have never lost any games are always winning. It's going to be a little bit of a harder of an adulthood for them because they didn't face adversity. Adversity makes you stronger and you know, losing, you're going to learn lessons with it and it stinks. And of course, you know, I'm very competitive. I always want to win, but it's not going to happen. So it's, it's, how do you lose? What do you learn from it when you lose? Do you go back out there and put three hours in your basement because you want to win next time? Do you listen to your coach? Do you show up on time? You know, it's, it's, it's learning to lose is, is not a bad thing at all. And, um, you know, that's, that, that's part of the game. That, that's why it is a game. You're going to have a winner and a loser. So you got to keep going with it. And, you know, I, I think to our, you know, to our listeners, as we're, as we start to wrap this up, I think, you know, where my goal here with this podcast is to touch upon all various sort of aspects of, of the game, right? So college club, we'll bring on parents, we'll bring on players, umpires, uh, businesses, you know, all, all those sort of things that make these gears work within the sport, within our country. And, 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 and I hope you know, players and parents can take a lot out of this conversation. Other club coaches that, you know, need that extra push or, you know, need to, you know, reevaluate maybe their their core pillars or just develop them. Maybe they're just starting out, um, you know, with, you know, with a club, uh, how beneficial, you know, this conversation could be to people. And, and, and I really do hope that they pull a lot out of it. Um, Last thing I want to get to, and something I did with Paul, and hopefully it'll be part of most interviews, um, 
is our rapid fire question. So throughout this conversation, I've come up with five questions um, that I want to ask you and you have under a minute to answer both. Some of them are going to be very, very quick. Okay. Um, all right. If you could play any other sport, what would it be? Ooh, um, well, I love softball. I always loved softball, but I'd like to play tennis. Yeah, or sure. Golf. Oh gosh, that's two different answers. It's two different <laughs> answers, but you know, I think tennis. You know, I think for me, my answer would be something like golf, where it's you know, you can play golf or tennis, right? Until you're, however, until you can't move left and right, until you can't walk, I guess. I mean, you can right, play those sports exactly. lifelong, so, and that's where you have your business meetings and your, uh, you know, vacation. You can go play tennis, go play around a golf. So, oh, I like vacation. that. Vacation. <laughs> yeah, what's that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> what is that? Yeah, um, so, ten- tennis and golf. I'd like to play. Probably golf is a little bit more realistic. Um, so, yes, golf. Um, so, you know, I, I'm sure you follow a bit of international hockey, uh, you know, and, and, and I know you, you know, you post a lot of clips. Who uh, is your favorite international athlete? Feel like a player. Um, Maria Granado, no question. I, uh, I, I absolutely love her. I think she's, I could watch her all day long playing. She's got so much grit and speed, and um, I just think she's a phenomenal player. My, my jaw is always on the ground watching her play. I'd love to be able to see her play in person. Do that you, would, would uh, a, do a you of kind of follow, and, and, and this isn't part of the one minute, but do you follow FIH International Hockey a, a lot, a little bit? You stay in touch with it? I do. I do. I, I do follow. Um, you know, I try to watch some international games just to get ideas of, of how they do certain setups and, and the way they run things. And, you know, in this day and age, I think that that's where athletes, uh, since we're at a standstill, where they could be improving their game outside of strength and conditioning is watching sure. um, a ton of field high. And look, look at Tyre Woods. You know, I mean, he's the epitome of how you became a great athlete. Watching, 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 doing, watching, 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 doing. Um, people, if anything, these kids should be out there watching games. And, and club coaches, too. Watch the games. Sure. Um, take the kids to the games. Uh, you know, see Division One, Two, and Three. We should be going to them all, supporting them. I mean, we're certainly blessed um, in know, New I, England I, with the uh, a high, high level of hockey that we have within an hour, yes. right? I mean, and it's incredible. parents should be taking their kids. Sure. And locally, Chris, you know, these parents that are in, uh, that their kids are young, they should be taking them to the high school games to watch the kids play um, and, and supporting the community. I, I think sure. that that's a big thing. There, You know, there's so much field hockey on Cape Cod uh, with high schools. I'd love to see the stands more crowded than they are with the younger kids in our club watching the, watching the games. I think All that right. would be a huge growth opportunity. Third, uh, third question. I had a little follow-up there, so that's, that's on me for going outside of a minute. Uh, favorite skill to coach? Favorite skill to coach? Hmm, let's see. Favorite skill to coach? Um, I like coaching uh, small gameplay. I think that that's a lot of fun um, just because you see a lot of action. Uh, so, you know, three on threes of, of where we're moving off ball and where you should be positioning wise. Um, I, I think that that's a lot of fun uh, just to see. Uh, sometimes we pair up the younger kids versus the older kids, we call them the youngies, youngies versus the oldies. Um, so, nice. so then it really challenges both. Sure. You don't want to oh, lose to someone younger than you. And, no, of course not. And people who are younger want to be the older ones. Yeah. I think one of my favorite things, though, outside of this is when at camps 
in the summer is when you pair up the coaches versus the athletes. Oh, that is that fun. Is my yeah. favorite thing to I got watch. that from some of my <laughs> Dutch coaches. Yeah, yeah. Just Yeah. It's, that it's, is so much fun yeah. to watch. <laughs> it's they motivating and it's down, don't yeah. they? <laughs> I know. Oh, and it's you know, by the fourth or fifth team that you play, you know, we're tired and they score that one goal right. and everyone erupts. But yeah, they, it's pretty funny. They will they will they will bleed through the mouth to try and beat us, which is just that's the grit you want, you know. That's that's probably my favorite. All right, um, non-field hockey favorite type of pizza? Yeah, uh, pepperoni. Oh, simple, love it. That's that's my go-to. Big, yeah. big those big slices of pepperonis. Were a thin crust, yeah. thick crust, deep dish. I like it all. I like, I it, like all. it all. Okay. I'm, uh, I, I, I love pizza. Yeah, okay. any kind. Um, and then last question. As long as I don't have to cook it. <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, last uh, last question. Uh, this is going to put you really in the hot seat. Who wins in a 1v1, me or Kyle? Ooh, 1v1. You or Kyle. I'm going to have to say you, Chris. Ah, Although, all right. uh, yeah, I'm going to have to say you every time <laughs> against anyone. I, I, like, you're the Jedi master. You know, but if you put Kyle and I against each other, it's going to be Kyle. Okay, uh, all right. But, you know, he, he's – and remember, ice hockey was his primary sport. Absolutely. And I, I love to watch Kyle play because the kids, when they go one-on-one with him, they really do try and take him down. And he's just so smooth. Um, so it's, it's it's always fun to watch him play. And the girls always go, ooh and ah, when he does his tricks. No, it's great that we've gotten uh, but, a, a field hockey enthusiast out of the uh, out of the ice hockey world with Kyle. So that's, uh, that's Out great. of the ice hockey, yes. Yeah. And you know what? I think had he been – exposed to um, field hockey uh, in the youth, I think he definitely would have played. Um, and that's one of the things I would love to see uh, is uh, more boys in the sport because I think um, it definitely makes the, the female athletes so much better and it challenges them um, to a different level. Uh, so, you know, and I know you're a huge part of that movement. So it, even seeing Kyle play, I, yep. I look at him and I think, gosh, he would have been really good at this. That's definitely um, going to be so. an avenue that we uh, we kind of do a little bit of a focus with this podcast is uh, boys playing and the exposure. And my, my intentions are to get uh, the head coach of the men's national team, Rucker, on here um, to kind of chat about that yeah. and kind of what, you know, as this podcast grows, can we be a platform to uh, – to expose youth programs and businesses and, and all different kinds of avenues. So, um, yeah, I would have loved to have seen you, you guys. I know you and Alex and uh, Jaja played in, and Colin Hennessy played in something uh, recently. Um, it was in February that you guys. I would have loved to. Yeah, we played. Play. Uh, we had our men's teams at the U nineteen NITs, and then during the U sixteens. Uh, the Big Apple Indoor Tournament, which is the highest level of indoor hockey uh, that the country has to offer here in the East Coast, um, was over at the W. Seagulls facility while we were at U16 NITs, and we were playing with um, the uh, with the men's national team. Unfortunately, uh, you know that was going to be four weeks prior to Indoor Pan Ams, which Lancaster at the Nook were going to be hosting, but with this. Uh, COVID-19 stuff, all that has right. been put on delay. So that we'll, uh, yeah, we'll, well, we'll see where that kind of Anytime you guys goes. have a schedule, yeah, if something is local, you know, my girls would definitely uh, come up and, and, and watch of course, uh, all of our clubs. Because I would love that. That's, that's, you know, I mean, like I said, you're the Jedi master. So yeah, anytime that they can see nice. you guys play, um, it, it, we would, would absolutely support that. Uh, that. That's that's something where I would love to have, you know, intergender uh, boys and girls playing together. 
Um, I just think it would make the sport in America so much better. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I think there's, you know, it's twofold to have a strong women's program. You have to have a strong, you know, a strong men's program, but Hey, for, uh, for now, I think, uh, you know, we covered a lot of stuff. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, it's an hour and 15 minutes, but I think people have plenty of time on their hands at the moment to give this a listen. Um, Courtney, I want to thank you so much for uh, sharing your your insight and and really diving into the culture and, and that why piece. I, I think people are going to really pull a lot out of that and get a lot of value from this. So, you know, I, I, I do want to thank you for your time in your in your busy schedule Absolutely. With, you know, with the kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anytime. It was an honor. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Full Press, the Field Hockey Podcast. New episodes will be delivered to your desktop every Monday morning. As this develops, our goal is to generate more content for our listeners. You can listen to our podcast on Spotify and Apple iTunes right now. Please subscribe, write a review, and share with your community. You can follow us on Instagram at Full Press Podcast. That's full underscore press underscore podcast and online at our website, www.fullpresspodcast.com. Thanks so much.